and I started this series uh, about, uh, well, this is the fourth of these lessons, and um, God just kind of put this on my heart about this matter of the truth and how the truth is not for sale. Uh, we're, we're living in a day, and by the way, this is nothing new, but uh, people are wanting to change things and understand that there may be some different methods and so on, and, and honestly, I... I'm, you know, if somebody does something different, I, I'm not, uh, that's not my job. My job as what God has given to me, and of course yours as a Christian, is to uphold the truth. And uh, that is the one thing. So, you know, look, if people are doing things different, uh, you know, the one thing I want to do is just keep my eyes on the Lord. I want to stay focused on the Word of God. I, I don't know about you, but I love the truth. And the reason I say it that way is because God's Word is truth. And Jesus himself is the truth. And so that's why I love truth. And the, the truth has impacted my life. It's made so much of a difference in my life. Uh, we need to be men and women of the truth, the word of God. And so as we continue this series, I've entitled uh, tonight's, and it'll, it'll really probably continue into next week. But I've, I, with this thought, be careful what you settle for. And there's a lot of people nowadays that are just settling for things. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but you know, God has, has once committed unto us the Word of God, and, and we have a responsibility. I consider myself just like those in the Old Testament times. The Bible called them watchmen. They were on the, they were, they were on the wall. It was their opportunity to make sure that nothing happened to what God had entrusted to them and to us in this present day. So tonight I want to start with just this verse, and we'll get into many verses tonight, and hopefully you grab the, a copy of the uh, prayer page that has the outline. And you can follow along that way too. And, uh, and, and so the verse I wanted, that, that just came to my mind when I was thinking about this is this verse here in Proverbs 22, 28. Look at this verse. The Bible says this, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Uh, God has given us something of precious value. And instead of trying to move it or remove it, we need to make sure that we just leave it where it's at. Uh, you can't improve on what God has given to us. No matter how hard you try, folks, uh, there's no way that I can put a spin on it to make it better than what God gave to us. And so when I think about this, I, I, I found a kind of an in, interesting illustration about this that, that might help with this. But I was reading a, a, this illustration today about this, this man who ha, he was excited. He had a lot of fish. He wanted to sell the fish. So he set up shop to sell these fish on the, on the highway uh, near town so that people coming and going through there, that part of his town, that they would see his, his little stand and, and they would stop and they would buy his fish. And uh, so he was out there, he was trying to sell fish, and he wasn't doing very well. One, of the, one man stopped, and he asked him, he says, hey, how's it going? And he says, well, I'll be honest with you, he says, it's been a struggle. He says, I haven't been doing well. He says, most folks, they, they either don't notice or they don't stop or just not selling a lot of fish. And so he says, he says to the man, he says, well, hey, listen, what you need is you need to get you a sign. He says, you got to get you a nice sign that you could put right here by your stand and he says, he says, just put something on the sign so that people see it and they'll stop. And he thought, that's a great idea. So he went into town. There was a sign company in town. He stopped. He talked to the guy. And the guy says, I can do a sign for you. It'd take me a couple days. But he says, what do you want put on it? 
And he says, put these words on it, fresh fish for sale today. And so the guy says, okay. So he made him the sign. So he gets the sign a couple days later. He, put, he goes out there, he puts it by his stand. And pe- some people are coming and stopping. And, and the, one of the people that stopped said, saw the sign and, and kind of took a look at it there and said, you know, why do you have all those words on the sign? He says, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at what you have here. And he says, why do you have the word fresh on there? He says, certainly if you're selling fish, I hope they're fresh. And he says, he goes, you got too many words on that sign. He says, I think you should take the word fresh off the sign. And so he did. And so the sign then read fish for sale today. So the next person comes by and they stop and they take a look at the sign and they said, you still, you have too many words on your sign. You don't need all those words on your sign. And, and so the person tells him, you know, well, look, it, it is today. Why do you need to say fish for sale today? You really don't need that on there. So he said, okay, so he took the word today off the sign. So now the sign reads fish for sale. So the next person comes by and sees the sign and says, well, listen, why do, why do you have all those words on? You don't need all those words on that sign. You know, look, everybody knows if you're here and you got to stand that the fish are for sale. You know, it's a given, and you don't need those words for sale. And he, he goes, okay, so he took those words off the sign. So now the sign just says fish. And he thought, well, I finally got this taken care of. Another person comes by and, and sees the sign and says, listen, to be honest with you, you don't, you don't even need to have the word fish on your sign because people can smell that stuff for a mile away, you know? And, and the moral of that is, is that, you know, as, as all these people are suggesting that, the tragedy is, is that compromise is an event. It's, it, notice here, it's not an event, it's an evolution. Just like that sign there, he had all those words on there. And you think about the word of God and how, how people have been trying to, to remove this from the truth and to change this and, and twist this around and, 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 and get it to maybe where it's more easier, as they say, to understand. And, and again, here, here's, it's not an event, it's an evolution. We think a lot of times that when people fall into sin, it's almost like they fell off a cliff into sin. We think that that's how it happens. We think that sometimes when we look at a church, that, that all of a sudden one day that church decided that they no longer believed the Bible was the Word of God. And you might hear a statement like that and think, well, that's, that, that'd be crazy. You know, there's a lot of churches today that kind of have that feeling. Like they don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Churches, you, you know, and I've, I've seen this even in my day. Churches have canceled services. They've done away with Wednesday night services. They've done away with Sunday evening services. There are some churches that don't have a teaching time like a Sunday school uh, in the church. And, and I have people who will say things to me like, well, show me in the Bible where it says we're supposed to go to church on Wednesday night. Show me in the Bible where it's, we're supposed to have Sunday school. I can't find the word Sunday school in the Bible. Well, that may be true. But really what you find when you study the first century church was they met every day of the week. So, I mean, you know, a lot of times when I say that, it, people shut up real quick because they're like, well, listen, stop right there. We don't want to go to church every day. You know, that's a little excessive. But, but it, it's amazing how churches have just, and if I could use the word even, denominations. Uh, you talk about uh, the, the compromise 
and the evolution there, and you see that this whole process, I think all of us know that some denominations have allowed women preachers and gay bishops, uh, and, and when they do stuff like this, listen, the, these churches that do this, they don't just vote to do that in some annual meeting. It's been a process. It's been a gradual process. Now, again, I, I'm not speaking against any particular church, any particular denomination. That's not my job. Understand tonight, the only responsibility that we have is to uphold the truth. When people ask me sometimes about these types of things, look, I don't want to get into some little petty thing with people. Some of you might even have different ideas about certain things. But listen, I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to share my opinion with people about things. The only thing that matters is what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? What does the truth say about it? And, and it's amazing how this compromise it takes place gradually, and, and oftentimes it's very difficult to detect it until really it's almost too late. Here's, here's a good illustration. Maybe you've heard this one before, but you know, if, if they had a pot of water on the stove and it was boiling, and you try to put a frog into that boiling water, that frog would jump right out. But if you take a pot of room temperature water and you set it on the stove, and you don't put any heat underneath of it, you put the frog in it, the frog will stay in the water. And then you turn the burner on, and as the water heats up, the frog doesn't jump out. He actually will get boiled alive. Now you say, did you try that, Pastor? Listen, I don't need to try it. I know it's true. <laughs> I've watched my dad one time try to, try to uh, boil some frogs, and I was like, okay, I, that's it. I'll never do that one. But, but the, again, it's, it's this process that takes place gradually, just like that water with that frog. And, and many of God's people, and I think even many churches, and, and I'm starting to see this more and more, even, even some denominations, they're just like that frog. They're, they're swimming in dangerous waters. I saw on the news maybe two, three days ago, uh, there were some guys, and I don't know, legal or illegal, I don't know what it was, but they were shark fishing. And uh, this guy was, I, I guess he had hooked one. He was trying to reel it in. And as he was trying to reel it in, the shark started wrestling like they normally do, I guess. And the shark pulled the guy into the water and, and chomped on the guy. And, and you know, that, that's what happens when, when you're, you're, you're in dangerous waters. Folks, if we're not careful, what's, what's happening today in churches and in Christians' lives if we're, not, if we're not careful, it's going to happen to us because it's so oftentimes not even detected until it's too late. And oftentimes we don't see this coming. Uh, we, we don't have to, I think in, in our lives, especially when it comes to the Word of God, we don't have to start chopping off certain elements of the truth. Listen, folks, I want all the truth. I don't want some of it. And that's, that's what many people have done with the Word of God is they're taking out this and they're taking out that. And we all know that, that God himself warns us about removing things or adding things to the Word of God. So tonight I, I want to use a passage out of 2 Timothy chapter number 3 uh, talking about this matter of what are we settling for sometimes. Paul, writing here to young Timothy, he actually sh shares and shows several contributing components to this matter of compromise. And we'll get through a couple of them tonight. We'll look at a couple more next week. 
But I think it's important for us to understand how this happens. Because again, just like that frog, he didn't, he didn't know that that, that was going to happen, that that water would eventually boil him. And in our lives, we need to be aware of this. And so notice what Paul starts out with here, and I call it a selfish practicality. Now, the reason I call it that is because we see that many times, especially here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that, that in this world we live in, that people are focused on their selves. It's, it's a man-centered focus instead of focusing on God and the things of God. So look what Paul writes here in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 3. He says, this know also that in the last days, notice what kind of times, perilous, perilous times, notice, shall come. Now watch these words here, for men shall be lovers of what? Their own selves. And then look at these words, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. Now, doesn't that describe the day we're living in? So many of those words have come farther into the light the longer we live, the longer the Lord tarries. Uh, this is really the spirit of the day that we live in. And oftentimes, listen, sometimes we have strengths in our lives, but those strengths in our lives can often become our greatest weaknesses because what happens is, is that the devil watches us. Remember the Bible says he is as a roaring lion walketh about seeking. He's watching. He's looking for something in your life and mine, in our church, uh, in the Lord's work. Are you with me tonight? So, so here's the thing is, the devil sees in your life and mine, what drives us, what we're passionate about. He's watching to see where we're very passionate. And then what he does is he takes that and he uses whatever drives us and whatever we're passionate, and he uses that against us. So when you, when you think about that, uh, look, I, I'm convinced that the truth is that no godly person, no godly person ever intends to backslide. You know, if you ask them, hey, look, do you plan on backsliding someday? No, no godly person would ever say, look, yeah, that's what I, I'm planning on doing. I'm planning on backsliding someday and, and, and walking away from God. No, no Bible-believing church. I think when a church like ours or other churches like ours, I don't think any church that's a Bible-believing church ever plans to plant that church and then to compromise someday. It's never a part of the plan. The plan is to do the will of God, to follow the, the Great Commission. And in our lives, look, we all want to do something great for God. We all want to have, uh, make an impact for the cause of Christ in our day. But see, here's the problem is the devil observes the desires of our lives. The devil's watching. And he realizes that he can't change the goals in our lives but he can change the reason for the goals. For instance, you know, sometimes, you know, you might have an opportunity. I, I, I don't really do this myself. You might, you might sing a special in church someday. And, and somebody might say something like this to you, man, that was a great song. Now, right then and there, you have a choice. You could say, well, it really was, wasn't it? 
That was the best one I ever sung. You know, we, we went to the fu- uh, funeral for Claudia's mother, and, and uh, something happened. I, 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 I didn't think would ever happen. Brother Peter stood up at the funeral in front of a packed house and sang a special a cappella. Tore it up, did a great job. If you want to watch the video, I got it on my phone. I videoed the whole thing. And so Brother Kenny told him, he says, I got a seat in the choir for you. And so we're, we're going to stick him in the choir. But you know, Brother Peter could have said, boy, that was a great song, wasn't it? So you have a choice there. The desires. Uh, somebody might come up to me and say, man, Pastor, that was a phenomenal message. I have a choice. Yeah, that was a good one. That was probably one of the best ones I ever preached. I think I'm going to keep that one. I might want to use that again. See what I'm saying? Is sometimes our, our greatest strengths become our greatest weaknesses. And the devil sees this. You see, our biggest enemy, you know who it is? It's not the devil. Our biggest enemy is self. That's our biggest enemy. Yours and mine. We're all the same. Look what D.L. Moody said. He, this is what he said. The man I fear the most is the one who walks underneath of this hat. He's talking about himself. Abraham Lincoln, when Abraham Lincoln was running for president of the United States, and Abraham Lincoln went through a lot of stuff. I don't know if you've ever read about all the things, all the rejection, all the things that Lincoln went through. But they asked Lincoln one day when he was running for president about who he feared the most. Lincoln made this comment. He says, I don't fear my opponents. He says, the man I fear, his name is Lincoln. And I think it's, listen, it was with that sense of humility is what made him one of the greatest presidents that our country's ever had. See, instead of him bragging about himself, most of us, when we think about our lives, most of our downfall can be attributed to our selfishness, to to wanting things for ourselves, which, by the way, we all understand, we've read this from the Word of God, that's the spirit of the devil. You know, I will ascend up. I will be like the Most High. You know, that, that, that's, that's human nature. Most of us can attribute that to selfishness. We want to do something great, but we are, we are willing to compromise sometimes even biblical principles to achieve those goals. Now, again, you may not look at it that way, but that happens in many Christians' lives. We compromise on biblical principles to achieve those. What we do is we try to justify the life we're living, and the only way you can do that is to kind of twist the Word of God. I love what uh, Claudia's mom, uh, her, her name, am I pronouncing it right? Hyacinth? Okay, Hyacinth. And that's a flower, is that a flower? Yeah, flower. And they called her Haya. And, uh, and so Claudia's daughter, a couple of her daughters got up and gave testimonies about their grandma. And the one daughter she got up, she's the oldest grandkid, she's 49 years old, she got up and she was telling the whole, the whole uh, auditorium, she said uh, that, that, uh, that Claudia's mom used to drive and pick all of them up. She, she said, didn't matter where you lived, grandma was picking you up for church. And, uh, and so she said, when I became a teenager, she goes, I didn't want to go to church. She said, and... And Grandma called me and said, get ready, I'm coming by to pick you. She said, Grandma, I can't go to church. 
I was out partying all night. I can't go to church. And Claudia's mother said, if you can party with the devil on Saturday, you can go to church with God on Sunday. That's what she told her. You know, you, you think about in our lives how many times we try to compromise on biblical principles to achieve goals in our own lives. Look, there's nothing wrong with trying to, to win somebody to Christ. And we all understand, you and I, we can't win somebody per se. There's nothing wrong with singing a special. There's nothing wrong with planting a church or preaching a message. The, the question is, why are we doing the things that are we, we are doing? Why are we singing a song? Why are we planting a church? Why are we preaching? Are we doing it for God's glory? Are we doing it for our glory? That's, that's the bottom line. Listen to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. Will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. The interesting thing about God is this, that God's way up is down. You see, it's totally opposite of the corporate ladder. The world we live in today, it's all about climbing that ladder, getting to the top rung. And God says, listen, if you want to serve me, you want to follow me, then you have to go to the bottom rung. And most people, they don't, they don't like that. They don't like the fact, but look what it says in, in Matthew 23. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. In other words, let me say it this way. We weren't created for our glory. We were created for his glory. That's what the word of God shows us. Look at Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Do you know you were created for God's pleasure? You were created to bring God glory, not to bring, bring glory to yourself. Look, we, we, look, all of us are like this. We love to, to talk about ourselves. You know, this, this, is, this is my job. This is my car. This is my house. Uh, this is my life. Uh, this is my church, whatever. But when you think about it in the Word of God, the greatest example in the Bible of being unselfish is Jesus. The Bible says this about him. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It goes totally against our human nature. People a lot of times, and I, I've had people even talk to me, you know, when they think about our church or they think about the ministry or the work of God, a lot of times they allude to, you know, look, if you can just lighten up a little bit, if you could just loosen your grip and, and maybe let up here and here and and, and not be so, so whatever, and, and they use all kinds of words when they, when they talk to me about things like this. But here's what they'll say to us is, if you would do that, then your church would grow faster. I've said over the years, I'd rather, I'd rather be running five and have God's blessing than be running 500 and, and not have God's blessing. I think the only way God's going to bless is if we do things His way. And, and let me make this statement. Growth, rather than godliness, oftentimes becomes the goal. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to see people come to the house of God. I love to see the church growing. Because you know what that means when the house is full? People are hearing the Word of God. Their lives are being enriched. You're here tonight. 
But see, the, the, the goal of the Christian life and the ministry is not growth numerically. It's growth spiritually. See, our lives need to be enriched by the Word of God. Well, how can they be enriched if we're compromising on the truth? If we're setting the truth aside, if we're selling the truth. God didn't call, the, call us to build a crowd. God called us to build the church. He said, I will build my church. A lot of, a lot of pastors, they're, they're pretty funny. Uh, some pastors, you ask them, hey, how many did you have a church? I, I re- actually read a testimony, true testimony. They, there was an evangelist that was with a, a preacher, and uh, he, was, he was there, and, and he, the pastor didn't realize this happened. They had service, and, and they were trying to break their all-time record. And they had a huge crowd. They had a great day, a couple, two, three hundred people that were there. And, and, and so the, one of the men that counted that day came up after the service and handed a piece of paper to the pastor, and it was folded. And so when he opened it up, the, 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 the friend that was there speaking for him, he didn't, the, the pastor didn't realize he was standing right there where he was, he was angled where he could see that piece of paper. He wasn't trying to be nosy or spy or anything like that. But when he opened it up, the, his friend that was preaching there saw the number. He said that night when he got up in front of the church and said, listen, God, that was a great day. God blessed the service this morning. We had a record attendance. And the, the amount that he said that was in attendance was over 100 more people than were really there. And his, his friend relayed, he says, he says, that was actually the last time I ever went and preached for him. You know, why do we think we have to do that? Because, listen, it's all about selfish practicality. And selfish practicality will kill a ministry. It'll hurt the cause of Christ. But then notice also, as, as he continues to write in 2 Timothy, he, see, he also talks about a sensual pleasure. Because if you read on, look at verse number 3, at these words, he says, Without natural, natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of what? Of God. Again, that's, that's the day we're living in, is, is underneath of this selfish practicality. It's all about me. You find the, the root of this wicked, sinful flesh. Now, can I tell you, when, when you got saved, when you and I got saved, your flesh did not get saved. Jesus died for the souls of men and women. You, you study the life of Paul in Romans chapter number 7. That's, that's what he describes in Romans 7, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Anybody else struggle with that in your life? <laughs> Every day, right? See, see, as we think about this, the flesh that we're living in, Satan, he loves to ruin lives. He loves to ruin churches. Well, how does he do that? Well, in the avenue of the flesh, it's things like this, laziness. You know, look, God doesn't bless lazy Christians. And, and you think about it other ways, fleshly ways, distractions in our lives, whatever they may be, materialism sometimes, or even immorality. There's a lot of things when it comes to sensual pleasure, as it describes people here, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The devil knows, listen, he knows how our flesh works. He knows what it is that makes us happy. 
Now, can I add to that, according to the flesh? He knows exactly, and, and somebody said it this way, something might make us happy, but that might not be holy. And that's what we always have to think about because look at Matthew 5, 48. God puts a really high standard in our lives. Look at these words. God says, be ye therefore, what's that word? Perfect. Perfect. Now watch this. Even as your Father, which in, in, is in heaven, is perfect. God's more important. He's more interested in your life and mine in our holiness than our happiness. God's a holy God. And he's interested in us living a holy life. When we get saved, the one thing that needs to happen is, is the lust that, we, that drove us in our lives. Those lusts in our lives need to be surrendered to the Lord. Look what Peter writes. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to, here's the words, the former lust in your ignorance. We didn't realize because we weren't saved. But now we are saved. Now watch this. He says... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. That's your lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, compromise is taking place in, in, in the world we live in today among churches, among Christians. And here's the reason why compromise is taking place. Because Christians don't want to be holy. We don't want to live a holy life. And that's why you see the compromise. We don't want to be like Jesus. We don't want to be filled with the Spirit of God. And people, a lot of times, they'll argue, well, listen, lighten up. It's the 21st century. Things have changed. Really? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My word is forever settled. The world, Look, the world might be changing, folks, but God doesn't. His word doesn't, the truth doesn't change. So when you think about this, look, look at, the, look at what it says here in Titus 2, look at verse number 12, teaching us that denying what? Ungodliness and worldly lust, here's, here's the admonition, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, and look at this statement, in what? This present world. Notice God doesn't say, look, just, just you can live like the devil till you get to heaven. No, he says, in this present world you live in. You, you know, years ago, they, somebody made this real popular, this statement about what would Jesus do. Let me kind of take that and say it this way, is when you think about this world we live in, and it says here that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, let me ask you this question. How would Jesus be living if he was here in this present world? Do you think he'd be living a holy life or do you think he'd be compromising? I think he'd be living a holy life. I, I think he would be living a life pleasing to the Father. And the Bible commands us as Christians that we are to follow his example. We're to mimic the life of Christ. And yet there's, there is compromise going. Look at Colossians 3, 17. Whatsoever, that covers it all right there. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So can, can you do, and I, I don't know who you are, I don't know what, 
maybe, maybe there's nothing you're, but can you do the things that you're doing in your life? Here's the catch, in the name of the Lord. Because if you can't do the things you're doing in your life in the name of the Lord, then it sounds to me like there's something that ought not to be in your life and mine. Because everything we do, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. And so, look, if not, whatever it is in our lives that can't be done in the name of the Lord, that should be eliminated from our lives. Those are the former things. But remember, we're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away, right? It's real quiet in here tonight. <laughs> so look at the last one, and then we'll be done. He, he talks about a selfish practicality, and secondly, he talks about, when, it, when you think about this compromise, a sensual pleasure in, in there in verses 3 and 4. But look at verse number 5, because he talks about a substituted power. Now, this is interesting, because look at this, verse 5, having a, what's that next word? Form of what? Godliness. But denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, you know, around the church here, around your house, do you have pictures hung on the wall? Yeah? And, and what, what do you usually put a picture in? A frame. Do you have any, do you have any uh, frames just hanging on the wall with no picture in it? No? You, you got a frame around them, right? Do you know what that form of godliness is? It's like having a frame with no picture in it. Now, let me ask you, if you have a frame and a picture, what's more important, the picture or the frame? The picture. But the Bible says here, Paul tells Timothy, he says, look, folks have a form of godliness. They've got a frame with no picture. See, we ought, to be, we ought to be living a godly life. Paul says we need to have, make sure that we have a picture there. There needs to be something in our lives. A lot of Christians have a form, and, and look what he says here, but denying the power thereof, he's saying that there's a form there, but the power of God is gone. What, what is it in the Old Testament? Ichabod? The glory of the Lord has departed? Because we just have a form God's not pleased with a form. God's not pleased with a frame in your life. God wants the picture in the frame. He wants you to be a godly Christian. You with me tonight? He, he says the glory of God has departed from our lives. Somebody said it this way. Christianity can become a form, then a formality, and finally formalism. I'm not interested in dead orthodoxy. I'm not interested in religion. I'm interested in a relationship with God, living a holy life. Now, listen, if you're looking at me, I'm not the example. But I will tell you this, I'm trying to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I'm far from, listen, just because I'm, I'm preaching the message tonight doesn't mean I'm the example. The example is Jesus. Our lives need to be patterned after him. And sometimes there are things aren't working in our lives God's way. And so here's what we do is we try to rationalize uh, through it because we want to try things our way. But what we need to do is get our eyes back on the scriptures. See what the scriptures say. 
For instance, when you, when you think about this, a lot of times people say, well, listen, I don't know why we do all this preaching stuff. Well, because that's what God's chosen. God's chosen the foolishness of preaching. Look, at the Bible says that preaching still works. Look what it says here. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Preaching still works. The Bible tells us, look at this, prayer still works. Do you believe that? Look what, look what it says here in 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So the Bible tells us that the preaching still works, that prayer still works. Look at this. The Bible tells us that God still honors faith. Hey, we're supposed to live a life of faith. Look what it says in Matthew 17. Then came his disciples to Jesus apart, and here's what they, they said to him. Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove, here, uh, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So the Bible tells us, look, God still honors a life of faith. Notice another thing. The Bible tells us that soul winning still works. So many churches, listen, have given up on soul winning. Folks, listen, can you be a church and not be propagating the gospel? I say no, because it's the commission. The Bible tells us to go into all the world with the gospel. If we're not going into all the world with the gospel, then we've sold the truth. We're not doing what God has given us. Look what it says, Psalm 126. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Hey, listen, he that winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. But see, a lot of times people say, well, listen, I, that's just archaic. That's old. This is the 21st century. No, it's the truth. The Bible says we're supposed to go. We're supposed to be a witness unto him in all the world. The Bible says soul winning still works. How about this one? The Bible says that God still blesses tithes and offerings. People nowadays, Christians, don't give their tithes and offerings. And they wonder why God isn't blessing their lives. Folks, look, take it up with God because he says in Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You see, look, there's another verse in the Bible that says this, that which if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we're going to reap bountifully. Now, look, I don't give to God to get, but I'll tell you what, the principle works. The law of sowing and reaping is as we give to God. Some people don't, Christians, I don't understand a Christian that doesn't give. You're robbing from God, Malachi said. See, we can talk about it all we want, but there's a compromise going on in this world. And I'm not talking about unsaved people, I'm talking about Christians. We have to understand that the Bible says these things. How about this one? The Bible says that God still honors faithful service. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Anybody in here tired tonight? I know I am. But the Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall 
reap if we faint not. Now, I could give you many more, but for sake of time, I won't. But it all boils down to this, whether we believe the Bible or not. There's a lot of people today that believe blogs over Bible. They believe what this person is saying instead of what the Word of God has to say. I just choose to believe what the Bible, and you know why? Because I've had 35 years that it has proven to me over and over and over again that it's the truth and it enhances my life and it works. Can I, I just want to encourage you tonight. Look, we don't need some conversationalist tonight. We just need the preach word of God. We don't need some mystic that's going to help us to calm the fears in our lives. Look, we've got God will answer our prayers. We don't need some new marketing strategy on how we can grow the church. God's given us the great commission. What we need, listen, is not in ourselves. It's not in some source that man can come up with. What we need is in the person of God. And we're settling in our lives. Look, we are settling for a form of godliness. Don't settle for a form. God says, look, I want you to be a godly people. There's a lot of churches and a lot of Christians that have form. They have formality. They have formalism. But remember what Jesus said? He says, without me, ye can do nothing. And a church without Jesus, guess what? It's not a church. Without God, we can't accomplish anything here. And without the Lord in my life, I'm never going to accomplish anything of eternal significance. Paul shares these components. There's a couple others we'll take a look at next week. And listen, I hope that I hope in some way it just encouraged you, maybe fired you up, maybe just helped you say, listen, I need to be doing more of this. Whatever it is in your life, listen, whatever God spoke to you about tonight, Allow God to minister and help you, and may God help all of us to be the kind of Christians that God has saved us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that in our lives that we would be living a life of truth, and Lord, I pray that we might not look at others. Certainly, I'm, I have no one in my, in my thoughts or mind tonight. This message wasn't about anyone, you know, no thoughts about someone. It was just about how you led me in this area of, of, as Christians, many times we're giving way to things. Lord, we don't need to be settling for the, 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 anything less than what you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to, to live our lives built upon the truth of God's word. And thank you again for the time we've had here tonight. Thank you for those that have come. Bless the many that we have prayed for. Be with each and every one of those. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.